Programming Throwdown, episode 50. Congratulations! Take it away, Jason. Hey, everybody. Um, this is a special episode of Programming Throwdown. And, uh, uh, you know, just to, if this is your first time, uh, uh, you know, listening to a Programming Throwdown episode, uh, we typically talk about a different language or, you know, computational concept uh, every show. Um, we start off with some news, tell some jokes, things like that. Um, we're not doing any of that this show. Um, so, so if this is your first show that you've listened to, if you're brand new to Programming Throwdown, uh, hit pause, uh, go back a few episodes, uh, check out one of our other ones. This is really just a, a special episode um, that we want to do for our fans, uh, um, give them the opportunity to ask questions, make comments, and uh, we'll read them on the air. And so we're also... Um, broadcasting this particular episode uh, live on livecoding.tv slash neural nets for life, the number four. Um, and we'll give a link to it in the show notes and all of that. Um, but that means that uh, we're going to be fielding some questions from the live audience. And, uh, and so that might cause us to for one, it's definitely all one take. It usually is anyway. We always record this. People don't know that maybe, actually. Yeah, good We point. always record in one take unless something really, really bad happens, which has only happened like once or twice where yep. we've had problems. But otherwise, it's one take all the way straight through, almost yep. no editing, slap yep. on the beginning and the end, which hopefully the beginning part has gotten a little better. I think people used to not like it. Yeah, yeah, definitely have tightened early, that up. Early, yeah, totally. So, so we're go- in this episode, we're going to kind of you know talk about the history of the show and everything, give you guys an insight. Um, uh, uh, I've heard to say folks instead of guys. Folks. Someone said, don't say guys, say, say folks or use, which I just can't do use. Y'all? Uh, they also said y'all. I don't think I can do y'all either. So I think, I think I'm... All right, I'm, y'all. Let's I'm get rest- this started. <laughs> I'm relegating myself to folks. But give you folks an opportunity to, uh, to ask us anything you want to ask us. And we've gotten a ton of, uh, ton of questions and comments. And uh, we're just going to kind of go through it and, and also field some from the chat as we go. All right. The first one is one we've gotten several times, and we're going to uh, only give a partial answer to, so apologies. And sometimes there's been multiple questions, and I sort of randomly picked a person to represent that question. And we didn't cover all questions. There are many, many questions about, will you cover topic X or Y? So those are left out. Don't feel bad if you email us with those. Yeah, Hopefully we we'll are cover going all to do those that. eventually. Yeah. The people who, like, we've gotten so many people saying, uh, will you cover Ruby? Uh, we will cover Ruby, but uh, but not today. <laughs> so. All right, so our first question is from Mariano, and they say, I have a question. I have friends that are taking courses in edX.org, codeacademy.com, lynda.com, which are very useful websites to learn as a beginner going towards advanced. Being that the job market for programmers are majority looking for a BA or MA, a bachelor or master's degree, in computer science, would it be tough to get hired by learning to code on your own? Or what would be your experience? And that's Mariano. Cool, Mariano. You're the first uh, first question of the show. Congratulations! Fanfare. So, um, so basically, uh, this is a great question. I actually thought a lot about this. I asked a variety of people, um, uh, personal friends and and colleagues. Um, There's sort of an inflection point here. I mean, think about it. You know, five ten years ago, there was really only Lynda.com. There wasn't Coursera or or. uh, When this podcast started, we didn't have smartphones. That's right. Or That's right. we had just gotten them. I think you had just gotten one. I didn't have one. Yeah. I think what the iPhone like 3GS was out. Yeah, or something, something but, like that. Um, but yeah, basically, 
you know, since then a lot has changed. It's changing very rapidly. Um, and <clears throat> a lot of people are saying, look, Coursera has these amazing courses. They're taught by MIT professors. Um, but, you know, when I uh, apply for a job, you know, or if I'm hiring somebody, you know, how can I kind of take it seriously? Um, you know, what's the accreditation level and things like that? Um, it's a very difficult question. This is the way I break it down. If you have, uh, you know, a bachelor's or a master's degree, uh, that's always, you know, the gold standard, right? I mean, you get, they're accredited universities and, uh, uh, you know, that's always gonna be, you know, the best thing, right? If you, if you don't have that, it's good to have, uh, you know, good background with Coursera, Udacity, these courses combined with an active history on something like GitHub, right? So if you have a GitHub with a bunch of repositories, you've contributed a lot, you, 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 you are one of the authors of Homebrew or something like that, um, and you have some Coursera courses just to show that you picked up the fundamentals, um, then I think even if you, uh, you know, don't have the college degree, I think it'll you'll still get noticed, and that's really the key. You know, once you're in an interview setting, um, your resume isn't as important. Most people will, you know, jump straight into. Most people already know what three questions like they're going to ask you. Hopefully, not the FizzBuzz question and the, you know, some dynamic programming question. They just, they know already what they're going to ask you, and if they see that you have a bachelor's in psychology, they're not going to redo the whole uh, uh, interview. But the key is. How do you get to the interview stage with, and I have nothing against psychology, but, but how do you get to the interview stage with, you know, a bachelor's that's not CS or engineering? And so I think, again, you know, GitHub link should be the first thing on your resume, bunch of repositories, bunch of open source contributions, and the Coursera courses, and I think that can get your foot in the door. So. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think the... It'll be very difficult for having a boot camp or uh, Udacity, even with their certificates and stuff, which they're getting better. And in mm -hmm. five years, this show may just seem completely dated. You pointed that out. That, right. Like this completely changes. But having worked for, with, and talking to people who also work at large companies, at least, there's a lot of filters because you get a lot of junk resumes in. Yep. And it's, as you said, how do you get into the, let's talk to these people. Because once they talk to you, they may find out you're a great person to hire you, whatever. Um, but how do you get into that pile? How do you get past that filter? And as you said, it's it's gonna be really hard. So I think somewhat you actually have, I don't know, I've never done this, but I would assume it may be something you have to take a chance on, right? Like you have to take a job that isn't the job you would necessarily want. Right, For pay, true. you might not necessarily want. The GitHub stuff is is great. And that is necessary, but ultimately somebody is gonna have to take the first risk on you. Yep. The thing about the Bachelor of Science or Master's uh, or BA or whatever, just Bachelor's degree or Master's degree or PhD, is that you at least had the tenacities to stick through university, which is notoriously grueling you know, to various degrees depending on the university. And so the company is taking a bet that that is correlated with your ability to stick it and at least learn something and be productive yep. at the company. And if you miss that, it's much harder. Um, not impossible, um, but it is much, much harder. And so you're gonna have to do something to get your foot in the door. And that may mean taking a job that is, you know, you just volunteer, like for instance, to code for maybe yep. a, a, a volunteer organization or a startup, you know, that's local to your area or you know, hang out with them and like try to get involved there. And even if they don't pay you, but at least you can start to, and not just say like, oh, hey, I work for these people when you didn't, but get them to actually acknowledge your contribution so that 
you can honestly say like, hey, I worked for this company. Yep, yep. I know a lot of people at Mozilla are people who contributed massively to Firefox. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's obvious when you, when you think about it, but it's true. And, and um, now, you know, a lot of them uh, also have degrees and things like that. But I think that um, showing a lot of contribution to some, you know, one thing that a lot of people don't know, and we've talked about it several times, but it's been a while now, is a lot of these open source projects are really run by large companies. I mean, if you look at LibreOffice or, or um, uh, Java is, is run, like IBM and Oracle are the two main contributors to Java, right, to, to the JVM. And so um, you're contributing to those product, uh, uh, open source projects directly connects you with a lot of engineers in the industry. Um, so, so that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, and those engineers can put in your resume, and an engineer putting yeah. in your resume having noticed you is always going to be better than right. applying blindly. So that's another tip is, like, if you know someone, always have them put in your resume because yep. that universally leads to better results, in my experience. Yep. And we should also preface someone pointed out in the uh, chat room that most of our advice is oriented to the U.S. Um, some of it may be applicable elsewhere, but, you know, Jason and I both live in the U.S., and I have lived in the U.S. all my life. And um, so... I don't know. Other countries may or may not be different um, into varying degrees. So that is a caveat. A lot of people do yeah. listen from outside the U.S., though, and we're thankful to have you guys. Definitely, definitely. It's awesome. So I'll uh, read the next question, and I'll go ahead and start answering it. You okay. can find maybe a question from the chat room to follow up with. Okay, let's All do right. that. So this is from Ashley, and they say, First, what is the story behind Programming Throwdown? What made you decide to get together and make a podcast on programming? I assume Ashley probably had other questions, and I probably clipped them out for time. Mm -hmm. But um, the story behind Programming Throwdown is Jason and I used to work at a company together. Um, and we were kind of talk a lot about t topics related to work related to programming, but not, you know, just about, you know, the stuff we were working on, and realized we both had a passion for this and said, you know, kind of like people say, how do we do open source? How do we do whatever? And, and him, Jason does a little more open source. So I do almost I do none, not almost none, actually none. And uh, so it was like, how do I get involved? I don't really want to do open source. That's not the way I roll. And so one of the things we talked about was like, hey, we could have a podcast at the time. It was kind of like, hey, there are these cool podcasts. I listened to a couple. Let's do one. Like, why not? Yep. And, and from so, my perspective, I really, I had two choices. I could either become a teacher or I could go into industry. And I decided to go into industry, but I still really love teaching. And this was a way for, for us to both teach something while still uh, being in industry and and, and uh, being able to work on just very large projects with lots of people. Yeah. So. And a way to stand out as well, right? So we mm -hmm. do the podcast, we get to teach, we get to do something we enjoy. I didn't, re I didn't, to be honest, think it would last 50 episodes. <laughs> no, I didn't think it would last five episodes. I think most people say episodes die, I think, before 10. Okay. So like you can't say you're doing a podcast until you've gotten to 10. So you're on past 10. Maybe someone else will tell us you can't be a podcast for reals until you get to 100. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but so so we've done it past 10. Mm -hmm. It hasn't always been as regular or irregular. But, um, you know, I, I think one of the things is to stick out, right? So people say, like, what makes you different? What You know, if you have a passion, often people say you'll code whether someone pays you to or not. And that may or may not be true due to various life circumstances. I don't happen to do that much coding in my off time, but I do this, right? This is mm -hmm. a similar outfit outlet for me. I talk about programming, I talk about tech, I teach, you know. So that's kind of the story. That's not a great idea. And then we've just kept doing it. Even yep. at one point, Jason was in California and I was in Florida. We were doing it. Now we're both out here in Silicon Valley, but we work at different companies and we still do it. Yep. So it's just kind of stuck with us. They're thinking that, no. 
<laughs> through thick and thin. Uh, so yeah, in sickness or in health. Oh no, uh, no, actually, no, no, no. That's no. terrible. We're not married. When we're sick, we definitely don't do the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, yeah, definitely the motivation for us is uh, the feedback that we get. I mean, we get so many people who are saying, uh, we got someone yesterday saying, you know, I'm a engineer in Kenya and uh, I don't have, uh, he, he said he didn't have as, as many resources as he feels like a lot of people um, have access to, but he does have access to this podcast. And so that was kind of powerful, you know, I mean, the fact that um, um, that we could spend some time and, and, and hopefully uh, uh, bootstrap um, somebody who has an incredible amount of passion and might not have uh, the right resources or, or, or somebody who, um, has a great background in one field and wants to, you know, make a change and, uh, or someone who's in school and doesn't know what major they want to pick. I mean, these are all people who hopefully we've, we've helped, uh, uh, um, some of them, uh, uh, you know, uh, through encouragement and through education, we've helped some of them, uh, make their decisions. Or just helping people pass time. Yeah, that's right. Some like people not be bored or to get, you know, laugh at us for how terrible this is. <laughs> Whatever. It's, it's all good. I wonder if it's gotten better. The you number know, of people laughing at us has gotten higher? Th- that's that's definitely true. Oh, okay, okay. So the, the, the sheer number of people laughing at us has gone up orders of magnitude. Yes. Because, you know, the first episode was just our moms laughing at us. And now there's My mom told me she didn't make it through the whole first laughing. episode. <laughs> I know, mine too. <laughs> She's like, you boys are so sweet. But uh, yeah, I couldn't listen to more than 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, basically it's feedback from you guys. Uh, um, you know, um, for people who are brand new uh, uh, um, subscribers, uh, you know, we have programmingthrowdown.com. We have Twitter. We have Facebook. We have Google+. Plus, we have Jason email. Jason has all those things. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm a social maven. Although I don't... Uh, post as much as I probably should. I'm a recluse. Um, but yeah, Patrick has none of this. So actually, it's amazing. Patrick, uh, yeah, you have to email him directly. Do you have anything besides email? I have Google+. Plus. Oh, okay. People okay. follow me occasionally on Google+, Plus, but I don't post. Okay. I'm a terrible person. Got it. Got it. Um, uh, but yeah, definitely give us your, your feedback, questions, comments. We really get that. That's what drives us. So um, cool. Next question is, uh, we'll take one from the chat. Um, someone said, um, how many female engineers are there in embedded, mobile, web, et cetera? We'll just say in programming. Um, the short answer is not enough, right? I mean, the ratio of female to male in software engineering is not 50-50. Um, but there are a lot of great programs. Um, I feel like... Um, this is something, so I, I, have, I have sort of two thoughts on this. One is, this is something that's going to just get better over time. I think that every generation, if you look at, um, if you compare yourself to your parents and to their parents and to your kids, right? Every generation uh, has sort of a different understanding of humanity and so and you're saying people become more nah, mm, mm. okay really let's hear the second point let's hear the second okay point. well i just feel like uh uh things are on a good place uh, uh sort of on a good path there i think that things are i think it's important that we're accepting. recognizing it's a problem right that's right. a good first step yep I agree. so um so i feel like things are getting better uh passively but i do think you know we need to do take more action to sort of uh, you know, help this because it, it needs some bootstrapping, right? It needs some acceleration. Otherwise, it will just be floating in this one 
uh, uh, you know, floating in this one direction that's been in for a long time, right? So um, there are definitely a lot of efforts. I think actually the Raspberry Pi Foundation um, donated a bunch of money to this, uh, I think it's Girls That Code. And it's a, it's a, um, it's a charity event that uh, a charity foundation that hosts a bunch of events to try and get more females into software engineering, uh, you know, developing, coding, things like that. Um, there's also, um, there's a couple of other efforts. I can't think of them off the top of my head. Uh, it's yeah, like so, Grace so I mean, I, Chen, I, I, I think, think I'll agree, agree that it is a problem yes. and we are beginning to take the steps to try to address it. Mm-hmm. But I think with anything, it's a long pipeline. I, th- I think a lot of studies show that decisions about kind of what general areas you'll go into, what kind of fields, or at least for some fields, like engineering, math, computer science, are made as early as like middle school. And so unfortunately, if you kind of say everyone past middle school is going to be very low conversion ratio of fixing the problem, right? Then unfortunately, that means it's going to take many years of concerted, continuous, and deliberate effort. Um, And so it's not something that we can expect to change overnight by just simply throwing money at the problem. It's something we have to cultivate and, you know, so I have two daughters, right? So thinking through like, how do I enable them that if they want to do this as a career, like how to make sure that they don't get told otherwise, right? Or how to make sure that they're encouraged and supported, right? Um, And those are things you have to culture over a long time. So I think it's going to be a long road. And I hope, I don't trust like you that it just by nature will get better, but seems like we're starting to recognize it's a problem and hopefully enact changes that'll improve things. Cool. And someone just posted in the chat, I think it's Girl Develop It. I think that's actually the uh, the the foundation that I was thinking of. Um, they they uh, got it correct. Yep, that's it. So yeah, so Girl Develop It. There might even be another one, but... I think but, there's several others, but yeah. 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 Cool. Um, so that's All right, so the next one we have uh, is... This is so we had this from a lot of people. I didn't even actually go and find some specific one, but this is you guys to talk too much or too little about the news or programming <laughs> right. languages. Uh, I'd like you to talk more or less about the news, the programming languages, <laughs> right. the book. Um, so, like again, this is like I guess you call it insider baseball behind the scenes about how this podcast is recorded. But I mean, ultimately. The podcast is something we do. We don't really get paid for it. We have some like the Patreon stuff and the Amazon mm-hmm. and your Audible subscriptions. We're very thankful for all of that. And that helps encourage us, you know, to a large degree to keep yep. going. And but pays general, our costs. It actually is significantly expensive to, I mean, we, I checked last month we downloads. used uh, four terabytes of bandwidth last month. Oh, yes. So. <laughs> like one cat video on YouTube. Yeah, that, uh, and so, <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so, you know, like these things are encouraging to us, but ultimately, like, it's something we have to enjoy because if we don't enjoy it, we're not going to do it. This isn't replacing our jobs, right? Right. So we have our jobs. We both have families. And so we need to enjoy doing this. And one of the things we enjoy is just, like, chatting about tech stuff. Like, that's what we do. That's who we are. And so this podcast is an extension of that. Also, it turns out it's actually really difficult to talk at length about a lot of the topics, the programming languages. So we try to do a good job. We try to cover it. But ultimately... There are other podcasts I've listened to where it's all about a single topic and they talk the whole thing and I find myself drifting off. Like, it's not the same. This isn't to that podcast. We're sorry. If you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. You didn't pay for it. So I can't be (laughs) that upset. But, you know, ultimately, the balance we try to strike is covering topics that are interesting to people in the field of programming, giving you a little, you know, tidbit about something. We're not trying to bury the lead. We're not trying to make you go through all the other stuff. Um, We could cover it in the beginning, but it would mess up kind of our flow. Like, we need that other stuff as like a warm up. And as we said, we take this in one take. So we would have a hard time not referencing stuff we already talked about 
and then it would be all like confusing. We'd have so yeah, that's yeah, just we, not, we tried it. We thought about it, and yeah, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So we have to do the news and the other stuff first because that's just the progression that works yep. for us. And if we talk too much about it and too little about the other thing, you know, sorry. There's always next episode. Yeah, the, the idea is just to leave you with a tidbit, a morsel, something. Hopefully you walk away with something you didn't know. Right. Um, and then if we ever, you know, now that we're 50 in, I guess we have self-granted permission to go back and revisit some topics. Yeah, and so definitely. maybe we can get into more specific aspects. And I think that's something we should do. So yep. like specific parts of C++ or C or the things we're really into, it'll be, you know, cover those in, in more detail. The other things may or may not get revisited. We'll see. 50 is a lot, but there's a lot to come, lots to still cover. Definitely. I mean, the other part of it too is um, the audience is kind of different. You know, I mean, a lot of the people um, who, who write in uh, and they say, you know, I really love Python. I think Python is such an awesome language. You know, it only got 15 minutes in one episode. And uh, uh, we love Python too. Uh, the issue is um, there's many people who are just getting into this for the first time. And if we really dive into, oh, you know, why uh, you have to use uh, multi-processing instead of multi-threading so you don't get the, you know, gil, you know, uh, the global interpreter lock in Python. Then, you know, we kind of, it kind of loses the spirit of the show, which is to to show you enough about a language that you get really excited um, or enough about a language where you can um, uh, give you a foothold where then you can, you know, scale that mountain of being an expert in that, in that yeah, field. Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, I guess we could do two podcasts and one would be for teaching beginners, people not in the field or people just looking to commute. And then another would be, you know, in-depth, hard topics. Right. Um, and hopefully wouldn't fall asleep. But um, <laughs> right. Well, there's plenty of people who are really good at that second one, I think. Yeah, I think there's other yeah. topics. And then also, I'm not sure... Like, although it sounds good to say, like, if you actually sat and listened to it, if you would be really into it. Yeah, I like, think it's it would be much hard. faster to look at, for me at least. I yep. need to, these things like we talk about are good for me to listen to, but like yep. when it gets too detailed, I need to see it in front of me. I'm, I'm a visual guy, I guess. Same so. here. Same here. Cool. Uh, so Wait. we'll take one from the chat. This is an easy one. Uh, where are you from? So uh, I'll go first. Um, I was born uh, in Canada. Uh, I lived in Canada till I was uh, about 10, moved to, uh, to Florida. Um, I lived in Italy for about uh, three or four months, um, uh, then moved back to Florida and then to California. So, well, I didn't know all that. Yeah. Well, I knew some you? of it. So I was born and raised in Florida and moved to California when I started my current job. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's pretty boring. Yeah. Central Florida the whole time. So, um, Someone else also asked about VLSC architecture. I didn't see, or VISC. Oh, I just I'll looked up what it. that was. Oh, so I didn't go. know what it was. So I can't say anything intelligent about it, but maybe, <laughs> we'll add it, maybe I'll read the article offline. Okay, uh, so that will be one of our news topics. News topics. And we'll spend the whole hour talking about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so another question someone right. sent in. Um, oh, this is the second question from Ashley from above. Uh, they wrote, in the last episode, you mentioned how useful it was to have a good knowledge of assembly. I've dabbled in it before, but I'd like to improve my skills. Is there a specific assembler you'd recommend? Um, they've come across several. And is there any good book or learning resource you can recommend for learning assembly? Yes, lots. And I'm sure we could probably try to generate something better. But actually, we had another person write in and answered their question <laughs> unrelatedly. So I'm just going to read their answer. All right. They're going to do So this is Tim. And Tim wrote in to rec uh, recommend, which I haven't read this book, but it does sound interesting, Charles Petzold's book. Code, The Hidden Language of Computer Hardware and Software. Oh, I've heard about this book. And it says, yes, that's the Charles Petzold of programming Windows. And uh, 
I'm probably not saying that guy's name correctly, but he wrote a little bit, Tim wrote a little bit more about this uh, book and it sounded interesting. I, I, I looked at the webpage for it. We'll have it in the show notes. That seems interesting. So maybe check out that. Um, there's also several um, resources for, you know, the interesting thing about assembly is that because the instruction set leads to understanding the architecture, a lot of times there are simulators online. Uh, and we'll talk mm-hmm. about a little farther down a fun education, uh, fun, but maybe educational way of possibly learning assembly a little in a few minutes. Um, but there are lots of simulators and you can use those simulators online and you don't really even need to, like it's cool to write assembly for Windows, but it's really hard because oh, you I need to do a imagine. lot of stuff. So you really don't want to be doing, or I don't want, want to be to doing that. You want to use a microcontroller or yeah, something. Yeah, and even when I write assembly in my day-to-day job, um, it's always in a very specific context and you know for a specific reason, I don't start there. Um, and that's because it, you know, it's a lot of verbosity to, to really do everything that way. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, someone in the chat asked, uh, what programming language paradigms will we see in new programming languages and work their way into existing ones? Um, so this is a pretty tough question to answer on the fly, but I will tell you about one thing that I think is super, super cool. Um, and I've tried to look it up it's basically a, a probabilistic programming language. And I had a great article on it, but I, I don't have it with me at the moment. But the idea is um, all of your variables are actually distributions. So you can have a variable that says, you know, um, instead of saying uh, x, like, let's say you wanted to roll a die, right? But you wanted to have a system that handles, you know, the dynamics of a die roll, right? So if you just said x equals you know rand six, you'd get a number between zero and five, right? But in this case, you can actually say x equals you know dis- uniform distribution from zero through five, and x actually holds that distribution. It doesn't just hold one number from that distribution. Okay. And you can do crazy things like add distributions and things like that. And then um, uh, there's also pymc if you if you want to look at a Python. Uh, library that has this. But you can do all of this complex math and when you're done you end up with this like really heinous joint distribution and then you can just say you give me the expected value and it'll go through and crank a bunch of simulations and things like that. But the variables like are literally variable. Like the variables are holding uh, uh, the distribution. distribution. They're like holding the hyperparameters. And you do all your programming like that. Um, So it's, it's I think pi mcmc is one, and uh, there's a bunch of others, but we'll talk about it in a future episode. But I think that is one thing that will kind of get to be more popular as more and more of the world has to deal with noisy data. I mean, anything big data is going to need uh, kind of something like this. Yeah, my thoughts about this is that all the things we see, the, you know, functional, the actor stuff, um, the object-oriented, all of these are trying to say, this is the way to solve problems. And I'm conv- increasingly convinced that we're coming to an understanding as a software community that that isn't the right attitude to There's take. There's not one. And, yeah. and I hope that's one of the things that Programming Throwdown we mentioned is that all m- most languages have strengths and weaknesses. I don't think yep. all of them have weaknesses. <laughs> right. I'm not sure all of them have strengths. Yeah. Um, but all of them have weaknesses. And the idea is I think we're going to move not to one language that's uh, multi-paradigm like a C++, right. um, but instead 
moving to things where we're able to smoothly move between one and the other. And I think this is things where like, it sounds weird, but like Microsoft may have been ahead of its time a little, like supporting everything, um, or even like Java. We have like oh, Java, like, the, Scott, like C Sharp, the C Sharp, J Sharp, yeah, yeah, all that, yeah. All, right, um, and even so, just just for people who don't know, uh, Microsoft has this thing. What's it called? Uh, the dot. Well, this .NET framework. Yes. But there's basically they took a lot of the existing languages, C Sharp, uh, J Sharp, which is like a Java kind of knockoff thing, uh, and a bunch of uh, Visual Basic .NET. And all of it compiles down to one common language. It's similar, actually. LLVM is really right. The so same I was going to say, so now that we have like LLVM, you have like the Clang front end. Yep. Like this is all very similar. Um, and now it's starting to happen on the web a little, where like people are writing and kind of it's happening with frameworks in JavaScript. I think I'm not yep. a big JavaScript, but I, I, I kind of see it a little from yep. looking from the outside. Totally. That people are having frameworks with different paradigms, but they now are interoperating. Like, let's pick the thing that's best for this task yep. instead of trying to do everything in one task. And that's a pro and con. So the con is that now people need to know multiple paradigms and how to program in them and move between them, which right. is very hard. But it has the pro of you hopefully using the right tool for the right job. Yep. The question becomes how far out of inefficient, how inefficient should you get before you switch to the other thing? And as we make that friction and moving back and forth between them, I think that will be the future where teams won't be able to just do in one language anymore. But yep, yep. And things like, you know, Protobuf, Thrift, and uh, these other technologies that are designed for communicating between processes very efficiently and things like that will, will make all of that very easy. If you, if you figure, uh, you know, this sort of deep learning package in Python is really great, uh, but all of my code base is in Java, well, it's no big deal. Right, you just write some kind of thrift or protobuf RPC layer, and and so a lot of that technology is pretty new. I mean, before you would have to do a lot of that by hand. So, yep. so lowers the barrier for doing multiple languages on one team. Why do programmers love to hate on PHP and praise Lisp? <laughs> right, uh, and this is from Ariel. Yep, and uh, yeah, so the reason why is because. This is just common in the what I guess you could get into the nerd culture, which is the my way is the best way. Everyone else is, you know, Star Trek. Star Trek is better than Star Wars. No, 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 Star Wars is better. Right. My, you know, it's just getting in that kind of fanboyism. Is uh, uh, maybe other parts of society have it as well, but I know it's very rampant in tech, and I think it's just that is what you see is that people like to say, ah, oh, PHP is terrible, and it just happens because most. Uh, people working at the big companies aren't writing in PHP. And so they kind of throw those stones that PHP, from what I understand, I've never done a lot of coding it, but does have some flaws, has some problems, has some bad assumptions. They try to fix it, patch it. And ultimately what it ends up is people know, what we talked about uh, last question, is like people know a language and they try to solve all the problems in that right. language. And yep. then some languages handle that better than others. And so I think you start to see that problem. One of the things in, that I think about Lisp is that it's so minimal that people end up building up a lot of infrastructure to make the language support their current paradigm. Yep. So yep. you write you like domain-specific language kind of things in Lisp to help you do what you want to do so that Lisp becomes the language you need for the, the current opportunity. But that, like we said before, has pros and cons. And you know, depend, if you're not a language designer by trade, you can kind of work yourself into a trap. But people kind of have that belief like, oh, Lisp is so beautiful because it's so minimal, because it's so flexible, because you can really make it do anything and not be like, oh, look, it's failing down there. That's why 
I think you get that fanboyism of it's a it's an artistic, beautiful expression to see how far you can stretch this minimal set of instructions. Right, um, right. I don't creativity know too through much. restraint or something. Yeah, I haven't seen too much of the list love. I have seen a lot of the PHP hate. Um, I mean, obviously, but you see it with like functional love, like oh, that's you got to be programming functional or you're not doing it right. Yeah, that's a lot of Haskell and 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 a lot. And of for a long languages. time, it was universally accepted. Like, the, well, that OO was the only way. Yeah, that's right. right? That's everything right. needed to be an object, an object's an object, right? And and in college, like that's how I was taught. It's like just yep. everything's OO, right? I remember like like basically having discussions about you know how do you solve. Uh, these problems where you have different objects and they're holding basically the same data, but they do different things. And basically, I was trying to arrive at functional programming, but I didn't know what it was at the time. This is, you know, I'm like, I don't know, in high school or something. And and uh, yeah, everyone was just like, oh yeah, you just, you just make a bunch of objects and you inherit the other objects and just override the functions without changing the data types. And then you end up with Kind of like how Hadoop is now, where you end up with a, a mapper class with a map function, and it's just kind of it's just kind of a nightmare. Um, so I think that you know, again, as Patrick said, it's for different tasks, different language or just different languages are amenable to 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 that task. And um, and yeah, OOP isn't great for everything. Uh, uh, functional languages aren't great for everything. Um, and so it's just yeah, I think a lot of it's just finding the right tool for job. It's kind of like being a mechanic. I mean, mechanic is a huge toolbox, and um, you know maybe you know a torque wrench is good for this. I mean, you could use a socket wrench, but it's very difficult, and uh, and so a lot of being a mechanic is knowing sort of what tools to mm. use at the right time. And specifically for PHP hate, I think it is somewhat just class derision, a caste system, as it were, uh. because I think what happens is people were using who learned PHP learned it to do like web development. But that was early web, right? And so, well, relatively early, I guess. And so people were like, oh, you're a web developer. You're calling yourself a software engineer, but you're not. Like the code you're writing isn't at the level of complexity that, you know, someone else is writing. And so therefore, you're a worse person. That's true. And, it becomes cast. and so I think the same thing happened with JavaScript for a long time. Yep. But yep. now web apps have become so complicated, it doesn't really work anymore. And it kind of just faded away. But a lot of people, it was like, oh, you do web programming and you make JavaScript apps or Flash apps or like that. You're a second-class citizen, right? You're yeah. not a software engineer. Like that's child's play, and that's just ignorance. Yeah, it's not immaturity true of the thing, right? Like, and like as time has gone on, all those people. Now, some of them probably made the leap. Some of them probably just because they wrote, you know, a web app that was really simple doesn't mean they can also write a game engine, right, or whatever, but they didn't need to. That was fine. What they were doing was the right tool for the right job, perhaps, and, th and they did a good job. But then they tried to say they were something more, and then, you know, not all of them were able to actually do that, but some of them were. Some right. of them, that was just their first language they learned, and then they moved on and did other stuff, right? Yep. And it turned out they were great programmers. I'm sure great programmers and terrible programmers started in PHP. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. Um, and cool. then we had to follow up. Why haven't you covered PHP? <laughs> we will. By I've Sanya. actually done a decent amount of PHP. Really? Yeah. A long time ago. A very long time ago. So why'd you um, stop? No, I'm just. I, <laughs> that's why I'm just oh, I'll, I'll say I stopped because um, really when Rails came around. I mean Ruby on Rails and then Grails and then I felt like uh, I mean PHP was great at the time, but I feel like if I had to make a web app now. It would definitely be like Node.js or Ruby on Rails. I think these things have really eclipsed PHP, and it's not a, a dig on the language. It's just the the, the scaffolding. Yeah, there isn't a lot those. of excitement around PHP anymore. Yeah, that's but there's right. not a lot of excitement around 
really around C++ or Java anymore either, That's but they're true. just reached such critical mass that there's so much work to be yep. done in them that they survive. Yep. Yeah, yeah definitely. Okay. Uh, I would like to hear an cool. episode about the open source and free software, the ethics behind it, and how someone could actually have a viable business which creates open source software. This is from Christopher. Um, good question, Christopher. So, um, right. So, well, there's obviously companies that that uh, uh, that that run on open source software uh, or make use of open source software. I mean, almost any company, really. Um, if you look at any of the big name companies, they're using some open source software. I mean, if you if you uh, I remember um, this, this this goes way back, but when I beat Warcraft three. Or might even be in Warcraft 2. But but when I got to the ending credits, they actually put the open source um, uh, 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 um, attributions in the ending credits. And I remember seeing, you know, Zlib and all these open source prod libpng, all these open source projects and and looking them up online and and uh, oh. learning about them. And it's so cool. And and basically, since since you know forever. I mean, I don't even know how, probably 20 years or something. All the major companies have been using open source, right? Um, so uh, there's a lot of things with licenses, what you can and can't do, and GPL, and I don't really want to go into that. We're not lawyers. Um, we'll just say there is some open source software that if you're a private company, you can't use. Um, you can't package with, with your solution, or you have to use it in a certain way. Uh, and then there's other licenses that let you sort of do whatever you want. Um, so that's some of those have both. So they offer one under, if you want to use this and you're not a company making money off of it, you can use a free one. But if you are, you need to pay to license it right. appropriately with a different license. Yep, that's right. Um, uh, another thing, so someone, uh, so, so some part of this question is actually, um, can you build a whole company around open source? Uh, you know, say Red Hat, for example, right? And uh, yes, you absolutely can. I mean, there's a lot of companies where uh, maybe not everything, but everything except the secret sauce is open source. I mean, if you go on, say, Twitter's GitHub page, they have just tons and tons of product uh, no, projects. I, no, there. I don't know, but that's a good example. I mean, I think an example would be more like someone who's really behind like Hadoop or something, right? And they're like pushing, they're like owning Apache that community. Like Foundation or something? No, but that's not a good example. But yeah, like if you took someone, and I don't know they do, but like if you took like Cloudera or someone who's oh, really that's pushing that technology, yep. they're mostly doing open source, but maybe they sell a couple of modules that yep. are secret sauce, but they have alternatives that aren't, but they are mostly, I think, in my opinion, selling consultancy. That's right. right. Like, we'll help you run your jobs, we'll help you optimize your jobs, if you want features added, you can pay us and we'll add the features you want, right? That's one opportunity. Yep. Another opportunity is one I described, which is like you have two versions of the software, an open source one, but it has a license such that you can't use it if you're not also open source or whatever. Yep. But then you can pay me and license it instead. And then that's kind of like a try before you buy almost. Yep. Uh, and you know that's another way. You can sell consultancy as yourself or your company, bug fixes. Yeah, and keep um, in mind like something like uh, Hadoop is a great example. Git is another good example. Um, you know, if you're a huge enterprise and you're using Git, and all of a sudden your repository just you know gets too big, or you need like directory-specific access control lists or something like that, um, you know, you can go to, I guess, Linus Torvalds' company. I don't know what you would do in this case, but you you can there's there's people who uh, you can pay who will fork the Git project and do something custom for your company, and so. 
by you know getting a lot of the mind share on a particular uh, feature, such as Git has a lot of mind share on version control. Um, you can then uh, make a lot of a lot of money and, and build a viable business out of just supporting that for people who uh, for whom that that software has a lot of value. Or even just hosting it for them. So that would be something like, oh, like Word, WordPress, or right, yeah, does WordPress. WordPress as well. So yeah. like you can run WordPress on your. I, I, I might be misspeaking, but no, I think you run right. WordPress. But You're like ten minutes right. may not be open source, but at least it's free, right? Like you can run it it's on your website source, for actually. free, open yep. source. But then they'll offer to host it for you, which has advantage right. that it'll be secure, up to date, and even they could offer like early release of features, yep. right? If they wanted to, and, and they'll metrics, host it for you. They have metrics right? that they won't, you know. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. So that, that's another way. Yep. So, cool. um, great question, uh, uh, Christopher. Uh, can you talk about third-party metrics and data collection systems from Kenny? Um, so there's a lot of these. Uh, it's very. That's a. We should do a show on this. But uh, so, what do they mean? Do you, do you know what this? I don't actually know what this question. Oh, is, like data collection. Systems. So this is actually a huge paragraph. I just oh, took the okay. last sentence. So, <laughs> Context. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's. A, I'm, I'm cheating. Um, so so uh, so Kenny uh, wrote uh, some apps and he has a website uh, and they're all you know using the same server and the question is sort of how can I uh, uh, you know get some good metrics got it um, we'll cover this in a ton of detail we'll do another show on this but one thing that I'm starting to get into which I think is pretty cool is called elk and the elk stands for Elasticsearch, uh, Logstash, and Kubana and uh, like I said it's a whole show but basically, you can give them logs where it's just lines of JSON objects. And uh, they parse the logs. They do some kind of filtering and machine learning. They generate a bunch of pretty graphs. They basically do all of it for you. Um, you can even have 100 machines uh, that are generating this law, these logs. They'll handle aggregating it and everything. Um, and there's a bunch of, of, of uh, pipelines like this that are open source. That's, that's one that... Uh, that I've, but uh, but these are like alternatives like Google Analytics or something where you right. just put a little tag, you basically send a, send a request out to a server and it logs that someone did something. Yep. Yeah, Google Analytics. Uh, there's Google Analytics. There's a couple other oh, ones. Yeah, there's several, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head. But, uh, but that is even uh, more hands-off where you, you uh, don't even generate the raw logs yourself, but you sort of send hints to, to I guess, Google uh, say like a hint, like someone clicked on something or a hint, uh, someone went to a page and then they take all of these hints and group them all together. Yeah. All right, next question is, how frequently do programmers make use of open source software in their production quality projects from Alex? Oh. I think you already answered their question Alex, a little. Alex, we covered you, we were uh, thinking ahead. We covered you with Christopher's question, so cool. All right, next yeah, question. So oh, go ahead. A lot. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. All and, and at big companies, it is a concern. You always have to write down when you use yep. or bring in open source stuff and make sure you obey the licenses because- It typically goes through your legal team. Yeah, like, yep. oh, you if you use this software, send me a postcard. Well, is that like a legally binding agreement? <laughs> right. Are your lawyers okay with that? It's like, you gotta like send them a registered postcard so you can prove that you did that, right? Like, I, you know, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't say if those things are, well, hold up in court, but you don't wanna get sued, right? Getting exactly. sued sucks, yeah. so. Getting sued is a nightmare. Uh, just okay. A little bit off topic, but uh, we'll talk a little bit about. Have you been sued or been part of a lawsuit or no. anything? Okay, so so if your company gets sued, uh, a number of things will happen that you won't like. Number one, 
uh, they will give you a new machine. You can copy your things to the new machine, but the old machine has to stay sort of like oh, just like preserved. preserved. Yeah, so, so pain point number one, right? Number two is, you know, you're just going to have to deal with such a litany of, of back and forth and meetings and things like that that you don't want. Um, so, yeah. so Dispositions? Is that what they're going to have, like, go make statements and they record you? And, like, yeah, that sounds un- not fun. Yeah, not fun, not fun. Um, so, so uh, yeah, I mean, so it's don't a get huge sued. time sink. Yeah, don't get sued. All right. Um, so the next – oh, we have one from – uh, so have, has asked, Docker found its way into your daily workflow? Has Docker found its way into your daily workflow? Um, I um, I got Docker up and running. I did it actually to run the TensorFlow. Did you see this? Ten- yeah, yeah. You know about TensorFlow. So they have um, – so Google releases thing, TensorFlow, where it uh, uh, lets you do a bunch of data analysis and machine learning and things like that. Um, and they, they released it as a Docker image, which uh, – uh, I'd heard about Docker, the company, but I'd never really gotten into it. Um, I was able to get it up and running, but to be honest, I haven't gone beyond that. Um, oh, no, actually, I did. I, I got a Docker image for um, – there's a way you can compile Windows binaries on Mac uh-huh. using Docker. Hmm. So it actually – there's a Docker image that has MingGW, which is the – the Unix, Windows. Uh, Windows, I don't even know what it stands. Minimalist. Windows GCC GNU, compiler? Something like that. It it produces a, a Windows binary, sure. basically. So there's a Docker image for that, and uh, it was pretty slick. You could just uh, uh, point it to your directory with your make file, and uh, through Docker, it would just you know spit an exe out on the other end, and you didn't mm. need anything I've installed. seen some things like that, too, for like kind of projects out there where normally you would like need to get a lot of pieces together right. and just kind of put them in a Docker and release it. But I haven't come across it yet. It's not in my personal workflow yet. I increasingly hear about it, so yep. maybe I need to spend more time looking into it. Same here. Is there a preferred term for programmers today? Do you prefer programmer, developer, software engineer, etc.? Do you think there are significant differences that go with the various terms, or are they roughly interchangeable from Mark? Do you want to answer their question first? I have an opinion. Um, you go opinion. first. Oh, you have a strong opinion? You yes. definitely go first. Okay. My strong opinion is... I don't care which you call me, and I will argue to anyone for a very long time that they all mean the same thing in in general vernacular. Uh, So people tell me all the time, software engineers aren't engineers because, insert whatever statement, this was making the rounds like a month ago on the internet. Mm -hmm. Fine, whatever, I don't care, sure, call me a developer, call me a programmer, call me a coder, call me... Yeah, it really doesn't matter. Occasionally there are terms which have more or less connotation, like... Typically, coder is a little more like... Someone said code slave. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) So, like, coder is more like, oh, you don't do programming. You don't do software engineering. It's like coder is maybe a little more connotation that way. And, like, software architect is seen as a little, you know, different. And in some places, these things do have meaning. Right, right. But universally, these things don't have an actual agreed upon formal definition. And there's no certifying body that says... You must have X to be a programmer and Y to be a software engineer. Uh, and if you have a degree in computer science, does that make you a software engineer? Yep. Like, uh, no, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's like currencies. Imagine every company as being their own country with their own currency. And having, you know, being an architect might be like having $1,000 in some currency, but you have no idea what it translates to in you know, euro or US dollars or something. So, and so it's kind of Yeah, useless. so in many companies, for instance, for software architect as a good example, that's a very senior person. Like they report 
to a high level manager. Right. They're, you know, many years of experience and they're brought in as kind of like a, like when they say something, you should kind of like do yep. what they say, like a, that kind of recommending person. Yep. Um, and other companies, it's just a different role from software engineer where you spend a little more time on like requirements and designing the system and you're more what some places would call a systems engineer and they start junior engineers in that position. You can be ah, a software architect right out of school. Interesting. Um, so yeah, no, yeah, they don't mean. Someone asked me on Quora, um, someone asked me to answer, uh, does it matter whether you are data scientist or software engineer? And uh, even there, I mean, uh, clearly there is a difference, um, but there are so many people who have the wrong title, or not the wrong title, but there's so many people who are spending all day doing statistics who are software engineers, or spending all day building systems who are data scientists, that it kind of it's hasn't that separation hasn't happened yet. You may use it to mean something, but you can't guarantee the person on the other end. Exactly. Yeah. Also means the same thing. So you should be really careful. I did find one uh, place where it really matters, and that is the immigration office. Oh. Uh, not first. They're going to say me payroll. <laughs> yeah. Not firsthand, but uh, but I, I've heard from several people who uh, wanted to be data scientist um, because it, it it's. It helps you in the, in the immigration process. But I would department. say that's, if I had to venture a guess, and I know nothing about the immigration process. Not me but, either. So. But if I had to venture a guess, I would say that's just because it's a newer title, so it's less overloaded by people. Possibly, So, yeah. you know, whatever. Anyways, all right, next question. Um, my degree allows me to focus on one of five fields, software development, web development, information security, networking, and database management. What are your takes on the future applicability and in-the-field work me. environment for each of these from Shadrach? Do you want to go first or you want me? Um, you thought about it. I'll go. So okay. software, development, <laughs> software development is mostly what we talk about here on this podcast. It's mm -hmm. what I would say of these categories that Jason and I both do. Um, and of these, right off the top of my head, I would say it's probably the most in demand, at least of where we are. That isn't to say that you're guaranteed to make the most money because some of these others, I think, have more variance in the numbers. Right, right. But I would, I would hazard a guess that it's the, if you want to talk about salary, the highest average salary. Software development. Software development. Yeah, yeah I, I would argue that. Yep. It's also the one on here that you know you you have you know a lot more about what you're getting when you get someone who does that thing. Right. Um, right. So then we can talk about web development. Web development can be anyone from doing software development in a web-based language. So think about like the person who's writing the Facebook app, like the Facebook.com that website, right? Right. That's not just HTML displaying. Right. Right? I mean, there's a huge application. There's hundreds and probably thousands of people working on that. I mean, can you imagine how many lines of JavaScript that no, is? No, I don't want to think I mean, about it. It's probably millions. And so uh, <laughs> I, I guess it used to be PHP too, right? So, but right. web development there can, is just, is very hard. But I think a lot of times if someone doesn't say software engineer or software development and they say web development, they can be using that word to say, to try to claim something a little more, right. like it oh, can open them. So, I mean, I do CSS and images and right, mockups, exactly. and I'm a web developer. Or there's those sort of build your own website tools, like uh, I think Wax yeah, 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 yeah. is one. Oh, oh, WYSIWYG editor. Right. And so, and focusing in school, if you're interested in web development, and it includes like a heavy emphasis on programming, like JavaScript, not necessarily a heavy focus on HTML and CSS, that's probably fine because mm -hmm. you can get jobs doing that. Um, but I would be careful because. I would hazard to say it's a little easier to go from software development to web development if it's what you're interested in than vice versa. Um, information security, I feel, although is related to computers and you do need to understand programming, 
you don't actually do a lot of programming from the people I've talked to. So yep. information security, right. they may do a lot of scripting. They yep. may do a lot of sysadmin work, um, but often, and they do need to be really knowledgeable and it's a really hard job to do and really hard to find. And I think here you could get a huge variance in pay. That's right. So if you're a, a very elite black hat hacker working on tiger teams and stuff, you, you may make a lot of money or not, I don't know. Um, and if you're just somebody, you know, secure, doing sysadmin work, but calling yourself information security, maybe not. But the stuff itself is really fascinating to me, yep. but I don't know how much demand there is or isn't for it. I don't think the number of people working in information security approaches the number of people working in software development. So there's a risk there. Um, networking, it, same thing. I don't think this means like programming for you know TCP. This means like understanding how to manage networks and managing large networks is very, very difficult and you have to be very careful. And at places like Facebook, they've now said like they're building their own custom networking gear and stuff oh, really? to handle like the just a massive amounts of stuff in their data center. Wow. So that stuff is crazy. But again, I don't know how many people are there doing that. And I'm biased. I'm a programmer. I, I think, yeah. Anyways. And well, another, oh, what was, last was one. there another one? Last one is database management. Oh, okay. uh, And so I think that's a, that's a very specific niche and very important and probably very highly paid in, in a I lot of circumstances. So. I think so. But I would imagine harder to find a job than just yeah, software engineering. Definitely. Um, yeah, I actually, uh, so everything Patrick says totally right. Uh, my, my very short answer would be do what you want to do. <laughs> I mean, if you're yeah, really passionate true. about any of them, you're going to do your passion. All of these are you know, well compensated jobs. Right. And doing the one you're most interested in will probably lead to a better result because. You'll be engaged. You'll apply yourself at work. Yep. Probably get promotions. I right? like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, you gotta, you have to follow your passion, um, and you have to be happy. Yep. Is that? I'm not trying to say anything deep there, but like, <laughs> very superficial comment. Yeah, definitely. Anyways. You have to be satisfied. If you're not, uh, thank you. That's better. Yeah, if if you're doing something you hate, it really nothing else matters. You're just gonna. I mean, think about it. You're at work, um, uh, you know, as many hours as you are at doing anything else. Right, just during the week. Yeah, you right. probably will spend more time with your teammates than you will like with your family. Right, especially if you forget about weekends. If you just look at during the week, it, it's definitely true. I mean, you're at work eight hours. Well, awake, I should say awake hours, yeah. Right, oh, you're right, right, yeah, awake hours, yeah. So, um, so, and then, you know, you're doing all this time and then there's a, some kind of crunch and you have to work weekends or overtime or something like that. If you're not happy at your job, you're going to get just completely you know, demotivated and, and burned out. Um, so, so for, yeah, follow your passion. Um, um, someone else asked about, which has become a common thing, as technology replaces jobs, do you see developers becoming like welders, machinists from the first machine age? Um, that's my theory on how we get around the job destruction issue associated with technology. That's a ward. So, um, yeah, I talked a lot about this. Uh, with some colleagues about the, the job destruction. And, so is um, this saying developers will become more important because like welders and machinists I, I or think became increased necessary because there were more machines? I think what he's saying is... I think that's what he's saying. Is he's not saying developers' jobs will be destroyed. I, I think what he's saying is is the whole pyramid shifts. So in other words, in other words uh, uh, maybe, you know, used to be there were tons of farmers. Then... There's not as many farmers, but each one is basically a mechanic controlling, you know, the machines that are harvesting the wheat. And so the pyramid kind of shifted. Uh, the farmers got dropped off the end of the pyramid, and now the, 
the, the what we now call farmers is really a different job. And so I think what he's saying is okay. it will shift again, and then uh, uh, you know developers will become uh, m- many more developers will happen because so many things will uh, be replaced okay. with developers, and then maybe there'll be you know another thing. So I, I think um, in general, uh, this is kind of it's a little kind of a little macabre, I guess, or morbid, but. Um, you have these massive uh, shifts all the time, historically, right? You look at, say, the Industrial Revolution, right? Tons of job loss, right? And typically what happens isn't very pretty. I mean, historically, you have, you know, massive job loss. Um, then that causes massive income disparity, and then that causes revolution. And so if you look at, like, the Chinese Revolution, the French Revolution, a lot of these are because of massive job loss. So that paints sort of a dark picture uh for the future with, you know, a lot of this robotics and things like that that you hear about, you know, if Uber does self-driving cars, all taxi drivers are out of a job and things like that. I do think that um, we have a society now where people can be much more fluid. We obviously don't uh, have the same caste system as they did in the medieval times and things like that. Um, And I think people will adapt and I think it will cause, if there is, and I'm not saying Mm. it's a guarantee, but if there is, massive job loss because because robots replace replace uh, humans at a large scale very rapidly i think you'll see adaptation and so uh, i feel hopeful so i don't really have a strong opinion. i mean i i hear the arguments you know this is one of the arguments for universal basic income where mm-hmm. everybody should just make x amount of dollars because we're all gonna replace. I, you know i think that's yeah there's a lot of opportunity for deviations from that course between now and then. And I think it's right. really hard it's right. really hard to predict the future. But I would say as far as like developers themselves, like I, I don't see a future where we become less needed. Like all of a sudden there's massive developer layoffs in total. There may be in, in little areas or companies or sectors or if the market tanks, right? Like, but in general and long-term, it's, I don't see it going down. Same thing healthcare. I don't see there oh, need to be like less yeah. nurses. Nurses may be like less compensated, I can't say, but like I don't see like we're going to just suddenly need less nurses and doctors. Right, right, definitely. Or maybe if robot nurses, I, you know. Yeah. Who knows? All right. Uh, you should try Quine Relay and TIS-100, Stephen. So we this is what we were referring to earlier about assembly because this is yep. TIS-100. So we did do, I'm pretty, oh, no, actually we didn't. We didn't, we, inter, uh, the two of us talked about the Quine Relay but we didn't put it on a show yet. So oh, okay. so uh, very quickly, because it really deserves its own uh, uh, news segment in a future show, but Quine Relay is the super cool thing this guy wrote where you take this Ruby program and um, when, you, uh, when you execute it, it generates a program in another language. And when you execute that, it generates, the output of that is another program, another language. And... Uh, it, it actually goes through, I think, 30 languages and comes back to Ruby looking exactly the same. Oh. It's kind of, like, mind-blowing. That is kind of crazy. Yeah. And TIS-100 is a game yep. in which you uh, need to use assembly language for a made-up processor. 
to kind of solve the game. I haven't played it yet. I actually have this as like something I intend to try. Very I'm in the soon. same boat. It comes out. It came out on iPad recently. It did. Whenever I, think I actually so. replied to to Stephen at the time and I said, you know, if it's not out on iPhone or iPad or some type of mobile or device, Android. I think Android. Yeah, I think it came difficult. out on Android and iPad. So I intend to try this. I don't have we'll typing. do it. Steven. This is like my day job. Like I don't know if I want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it for Stephen. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> I was wondering if you could talk about editors or just about what you like to use and why. So let's just, we're going kind of long. So like what, what editor do you normally use at work? Um, I use uh, mostly Emacs and IPython Notebook, which is, I guess, now called Jupyter. Oh, I didn't know that. So, so I yeah. use Eclipse. I, I actually, I use Eclipse for, for Java, but I use Emacs for everything else. I use Eclipse for Java and for C++. Really? Because I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> um, mostly because that's what is offered at my thing. But I, I, oh, like, yeah. I like a lot of what an IDE offers. And I know you can do the same thing in, in VI. Like, for instance, right. I don't use Emacs, but I can jump into VI and do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I just never... I, you have to set up you, you have to learn a lot. And yeah, and, and the problem is if I go to someone else's computer and they're using that, I don't know how to use the way they have it set up and they won't know how to use the way it's set up. And so... A lot of what I spend happen to spend. People always look at me funny, but I spend a lot of time at other people's computers for some reason. Really, I, it's the thing like you said, like teaching or whatever. Oh I guess. Right, like right, right, Debugging people's stuff, having conversations are good. Yeah. Like, right, so like I like to be able to go to their computer and not be and like be ah, productive. Yeah, yeah. So like maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just a weird person. But yeah, I use Eclipse. You can hate on it, whatever. Okay, I don't care. I've actually never now. tried it for C plus plus. So it could be great. Uh, I'll I mean, have to check it out. It's not great, but. I mean, all of these tools is just really hard because there's all these sort of bits and pieces that are moving. The IDE at least keeps it consistent and Does it have and like the, uh, you know, where you can command click on a function and it takes you to the definition? Yeah, well, you F3. And, you push okay. F3 and it takes you to like the variable definition. In C++, definition. Plus, yeah. so it must do some kind of like yeah. pre-processing or something. Yeah, yeah. So it works cool. really well and I like that. And when I go to someone who's using VI Remax, the thing I can't stand, and this may not be you, is when I say like, where is this defined? And they open up a thing and do a grep across the code base looking for the thing and then they can't figure out where is the definition versus use and that annoys oh, me. Yeah, they have to if set you, up G-tags. If you are doing that, I'm sorry. You, <laughs> I don't feel you have an argument to tell me that I'm doing the wrong thing <laughs> yeah. by having an ID. If you if you have it properly set up, you know, C tags, G tags, whatever, like fine. Oh, that's what it is, C tags. C tags, like, yeah. oh, I didn't, I, that's the one I know. If you have it C tags set either, up properly yeah. and you want to make the argument that I'm inferior, fine, I don't, okay, whatever. No, I don't, yeah, but I, I don't judge. if you don't do it and you do the, like, oh, I'm just going to drop into grep and look, no, sorry. <laughs> Unless you're really good at grep that I've not seen people do where, like, you can write the regular expression such that it finds the definition, not just the use. Yep. If you can do that, more power to you. That's not how I normally see people. I'm, I'm actually pretty good at grep. For a long time, I was the grep, grep my way through it. Uh, and then I finally kind of said, you know, like, let me take half a day and figure out C tags and G tag, all this stuff. Um, so, so, uh, so I probably offended a ton of people and like yeah, half we, the people just dropped off the Yeah, chapter. we went from 40 viewers to 20 viewers. Just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, really all the editors, uh, most of the editors work work pretty well. So. I am not strongly biased in this domain. No, me I am frustrated more by people who are strongly biased. Yeah, than I don't understand. My strongly what a waste biased. of energy. Yes. Okay. Want to know about programming ba- basics and concepts like object-oriented, imperative, functional, and so on. It would be nice to have episodes about these titles. We covered it a little bit here. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. a good point it's to a like good idea. have a functional episode yeah, 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 or yeah. something. That's yeah, good. All we right. should do that. Good job. Uh, that's Alex. Alex. That said... Oh, apparently I, we injected something in out of order. These. Oh, that's Any pearls me. of wisdom? Any things you wish you'd known sooner? Any recommended resources? You know, perspective from Ari. Ari. Pearls of wisdom. Oh, I think this might have supposed to have been Ari. Anyways, it's fine. I think we oh. got the name wrong, but that's okay. 
Sorry. Keep going. Um, pearls of wisdom. To close okay. out the episode. I think this is the last question. All right. Let's do it. So my uh, one of my pearls of wisdom is uh, look for good mentorship. I think that's very important. And I think uh, um, a lot of times people uh, will join you know, a certain job or a certain company uh, uh, and they don't really know who they're going to be working with. Um, I think a good mentor makes just incredible, incredible amount of difference. Um, I had some very good mentors um, through the years. I think you have as well. And, uh, um, and they've really been instrumental. I mean, I constantly think about sort of what they have taught me and, and things like that. And I feel like, um, you know, software engineering, there's, 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 there's a science to it and, and it's, it's, uh, but there's also a vocation, right? I mean, uh, there's a part of it that's like carpentry where, uh, there's not necessarily like you don't get a PhD in carpentry. I mean, I'm sure you can, but most people they become master carpenters through just doing it for a long time and, and having good mentorship. And uh, I feel like uh, people I don't know if they're afraid, like ashamed, afraid, or they they don't want to think about it as a vocation because it requires you know a lot of you know a full education and things like that. But it, but ultimately, a lot of it is vocational and having a good mentor will guide you, especially in the first no, few I years. I don't know that I, having a good mentor at some level is important, but I, you know, when you think about like, at least the stuff I've seen in the schools, people can become master carpenters on their own, but a lot of times they do, they go and they learn the techniques and they may move past those techniques, but like they start out learning, this is how you plane an edge of a board to be straight. And mm -hmm. you know, the same basic, like this is the construction technique to get to this end goal or whatever. Right. But I'm not sure the same thing happens. Like I feel like coding is just so different. Like the order I would program something is gonna be very different than the order you would program it. Not just like start a new project, what do you do first? But even just like here, you oh, need a new class to do this. Like what do you do first? Do you write do you go and do the variables first or do you do the and maybe that stuff doesn't so matter, but it does because that's how my brain feels. You're describing kind of it more as an art. Which I think even even if I it's don't like an that art, argument, I, I don't really. Okay. I, yeah, I know what you're saying, and I've heard this argument before. Like even then, art? you need a good mentor. I mean, the best artists had the best. I'm mentors. just saying, like you, there are certain things which are common amongst good designs, like right. having a design in mind, <laughs> right. um, having an architecture that you can describe. Um, I think trying not to use every last feature of a pro of a language just to Absolutely. show off. Oh, that's I can't the worst. stand that. That's my pet peeve um, too. I'd rather you write code that is looks like a five-year-old could write it, that's awesome. Yep. And if it works and it's not, you know, so far going out of the way because you're not using a feature, great. Yep, yep. Um, <clears throat> so those kinds of things in my mind are very common amongst it, but like how you get there is so different. And like now I find in my role, like I tend to review other people's code and like try to say, oh no, but you didn't do it the way, I, and then it's like, wait, hang on. That was a perfectly fine way of doing it. Mm -hmm. Is it better? Uh, uh, is it worse? No, no okay, that's fine. Yep, yep. Totally. Um, yeah, that's a good point. So other my other bit of wisdom of would be uh, don't get hung up. This sort of related. Don't get hung up on your way being the right way. We talked yeah, about this like a lot definitely. now, but I see so many people that burn out on like just raging against everything. Like it has to be my way. Like if you don't use your VI, you're an idiot. Sorry for the strong language. Uh, if you don't, if you don't use blah, you know, oh, I can't believe you did your code that way. Like only a silly person would do code that way. Like always try to understand other people's like perspective or where they're coming from or whatever and let it be. And also like for me, it's a pet peeve. There should be a style 
but like don't don't and it should be consistent but don't get like super hung up about it in like right, weird right. ways yep or like if totally. someone's trying to do a little something non-standard don't like if they have like a good reason for it it's probably just okay yep yep totally <coughs> um i had another pearl i think i lost it um oh see things oh. through to completion Oh, definitely. Yeah, do the It's really easy 100%. early on to just be like, oh, I got down to the last little bit of something, and uh, that's good enough. Like, I got to this hard part. I'll just, like, eh, I'll just go ahead and move on. Yep. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah. often that's where, like, the good learning happens because you are really terrible at identifying the easy and hard parts in the beginning. At least I am. Yep, same here. I often misidentify them. Uh, the other thing is refactor your code, and a corollary of that is write your code expecting to refactor it. And so what that means is don't try and solve all the world's problems or the next five years worth of problems at your company right now because it changes frequently. Mm -hmm. You're not really going to get it right anyways and you're gonna waste a lot of time, right? The flip side of that is- That's a delicate balance, yeah. Yeah, if you're going to code based on this year's problems, then make sure everybody knows that next year you're going to rewrite a lot of it. I think, I think you have to strike some balance there. Like, and the thing I've been trying to do is strike the balance of things which I have more confidence that won't change, I'll spend more time on, uh, and things okay. which I think are likely to change, less time on. Yep. yep. Um, like I'll do them a little more hacky, a little more, you know, rough around the edges, and let that be okay until we are sure we want to do that. Yep. Um, and that's a objective subjective decision so and you should be proud to redo your code i mean uh, like definitely don't get uh, i've seen this where some people get sort of defensive about their code i mean they look at it as sort of their territory like oh you're wiping my name off the map you know yeah and it's like uh, i feel like you know if your name isn't wiped off the map in five years then then there's some old code that probably needs to be rewritten mm. you know we have a lot more questions. There was more questions in the chat room, but I think we're running a little long on time. Yeah, I think so. we're going to cut the episode off here, but then we can try to Yeah, you can answer, answer some in the chat room. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, that's uh, episode 50. 50, 50 unbelievable. half a hundred. A half a, a century. A quarter of 200. Yeah, We could just wild. keep going. But <laughs> thank you all for listening. We didn't have a book of the show or tool of the show, no, we'll but there are lots of other ones, time. so check them on the blog. Yep. Visit our Patreon site. That's you know, right. Thank you for all of you who have done that. Yeah, we got, we got some donations. Uh, Yesterday, in fact, uh, we, we asked for questions. We got we got donations saying thank you for 50 episodes and everything. Uh, we really appreciate that. Yep. Um, appreciate all of your support. Uh, and then if you're bored like me on your commute, you can check out our links and for Audible and get a, a free thing. That's always awesome. Yep. I'm listening to one this morning on my way to work. Yep. Um, yeah, I definitely... Uh, uh, I'm just getting the account now. Oh, so we have to find out what your first book's going to be next episode. That's right. That's next right. Episode. I'll give you advice. Show. See oh, if you really? follow it. Sweet. I have All lots. Right, let's do it. All right. Well, cool. I think that's a wrap. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Oh, thanks, y'all. Oh, yeah. Thanks, folks. <laughs> the intro music is AXO by Binar Pilot. Programming Throwdown is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 2.0 license. You're free to share, copy, distribute, transmit the work, to remix, adapt the work, but you must provide uh, attribution uh, to uh, Patrick and I and uh, share alike in kind.